everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts, The Apprentice. Join me today for the Week in Review, current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Topics for this week, we've got One Roof on the 20th of June, Home Loan Relief, the new triple CFA changes explained. Topic number two, in stuff on the 22nd of June, with 17,000 fewer house sales expected, banks shift focus to those refinancing. Topic three, on interest.co.nz, 22nd of June, falling house prices more than offset the effects of rising interest rates for first-home buyers in May. Topic number four, on the 20th of June in News Hub, houses increasingly snapped up by cashed-up multiple property owners as real estate market cools from CoreLogic. Topic number five, in stuff on the 22nd of June, the towns where house prices are defying the downturn for now. Okay, so we'll start with topic number one on One Roof, 20th of June, Home Loan Relief, the new triple CFA changes explained. After nine months, the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment released its revised version of the triple CFA in an effort to resolve issues that the regulation brought in, those unintended consequences that have come to be expected when legislation gets rushed through. The Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act, or the Triple CFA, which came into force on December 2021, is meant to stop predatory lending practices by holding directors and senior management of all lenders personally and inescapably liable uh, to the tune of about $200,000 as far as fines go. But because the regulations are vaguely worded, banks have taken on conservative approaches to lending in order to avoid breaching those rules. So according to Rupert Goff, the CEO of Mortgage Lab, these are the three most problematic clauses in the regulation. Number one, the treatment of savings and investments as ongoing expenses, implying that new homeowners couldn't direct their savings to pay off mortgage debt instead, which was stupid. You know, if someone's putting money into a savings account to help save up for a house deposit, of course they're not going to need to put that much into the savings account once they've got a mortgage on a home instead. Secondly, treating previous spending habits as future spending habits. For example, assuming that since you brought takeaways before owning a home, you would likely continue to doing so afterwards to the same extent. So again, you know, not giving people the benefit of the doubt that they could reduce spending habits if they needed to. Number three, requiring the banks to show sufficient surplus for lending when there's no clear definition of what sufficient is. Prior to the triple CFA changes, applying for a mortgage was straightforward. Owner-occupiers who were able to meet the 10 to 20% deposit requirement and investors who were able to meet a 40% deposit requirement and had enough income were able to afford a 6.5% per annum mortgage servicing rate. After the triple CFA was implemented, getting a mortgage has become extremely difficult and at its worst point, applicants had to prove that they weren't spending their money on non-discretionary items such as coffee and takeaways for at least three months before applying. You know, we used to talk about putting your bank accounts on a diet. This was the reason for it. The proposed changes to the triple CFA will come into force on July 7th, 2022. But many industry experts believe they won't be enough to address some of the major flaws of the original version of the triple CFA. Senior management at the banks are still accountable for any irresponsible lending. However, the wording around what constitutes a breach is still fairly generic. So it does mean that senior management are likely to continue to be a little bit nervous and err on the side of caution. 
uh, rather than facing those personal fines, which can be quite hefty. The revised triple CFA will hopefully make the mortgage process easier, but banks still have several concerns that need to be addressed. For those with a pre-approved mortgage, the right thing to do would be to actively participate in the market to snap up bargains. Rupert Goff anticipates that a number of buyers will trickle back into the market in the next few months. However, it's not going to be to the same level as the mid-2021 property rush because higher interest rates, tax deductibility restrictions and loan-to-value ratio limits are affecting the market. If you have had your application deferred in some way in the past nine months, it'll be a good time to get a budget together now to show the banks that you'll be in control of your spending. This will also be a good time to consider reassessing if you can purchase a property next month, as you might find market conditions will have shifted in your favour. Something to watch out for, though, is that banks are using a higher test rate to crunch the numbers as far as your loan servicing. So at the moment, on average, they're using interest rates of about 7.6% to make sure that you'll be able to afford those mortgage payments if interest rates increase to that level. Okay, that's part of the responsible lending code, which banks have always been pretty good at. Topic number two for today, from staff on the 22nd of June, with 17,000 fewer house sales expected, Banks shift their focus to those that are refinancing. CoreLogic Head of Research, Nick Goodall, says that a forecasted fall of 17,000 house sales in combination with a fall in the number of borrowers refinancing in the next 12 months is pushing banks to cut their profit margins and to offer more cash back on loans, which is great news for borrowers. You know, if you can get good cash back deals when interest rates are rising, every little bit helps, right? Borrowers willing to shop around before refixing may be able to snag a better deal than they expected. And I would strongly recommend instead of shopping around yourself, you should get yourself a good mortgage advisor that can do that for you. CoreLogic estimated that there'd be 78,000 house sales this year, down from 95,000 last year. So a bit of a significant drop in the number of houses that are being sold. The estimate has been falling rapidly. Two months ago, the same model predicted 90,000 house sales in 2022. With a number of factors suppressing sales, like population decreases, interest rates and consumer confidence, the estimate will likely fall further. Goodall says that banks were asking questions about refinancing, such as who were the target customers and when and why they were refinancing, so they can sort out their deals and place their advertising in the right spaces. There are fewer people refinancing because borrowers are locking in long-term rates in order to put off the cost of rate rises that were expected to continue for some time. In a recent article published by Tony Alexander, ex-chief economist of the Bank of New Zealand and now independent economist, he said that the majority of people who are refixing their rates now are refixing for the one-year and two-year rates. Um, The three, four and five-year rates tend to be higher than the floating rate at the moment. So understandable why people are choosing the one and two-year rates, especially with predictions that interest rates are likely to peak uh, within the next couple of years. Only 48% of mortgages are due to renew within the next year, compared to 66% in mid-2021. Goodall said that an indication that banks are finding new ways to attract borrowers is the return of those mortgage cashbacks. You know, they're fighting for market share with the people that are able to get lending. 
Westpac is offering a cash contribution of 5000 to help cover costs associated with buying a home, like legal fees, for example, for all new home loans above 500000 uh, So they're capped at 5000 for home loans above 500000 if that makes sense. Um, Kiwi Bank is offering customers 1% of their new home loan as a cash contribution, up to a maximum cash back of $10,000. Goodall said added competition in a smaller market were likely to force banks to cut the margins that they made on loans. A Kiwi Bank spokesperson said that the bank's cash offer aims to put money back into the pockets of customers at a time of rising costs. They added that the bank put into consideration present economic conditions, market pricing and the balance between deposit and lending rates before they make changes to rates. The spokesperson said that in the past, customers have considered breaking an existing fixed term in favour of a lower rate at another bank. However, it's more common now for the rate that they're currently fixed on to be lower than the rates available in the market. And that's an absolutely key point. I still recommend that if you've got interest rates coming up for rate refixing, but within the next, you know, before the end of this year, that you consider getting in touch with your mortgage advisor and seeing whether or not uh, it would be favourable for you to break your current fixed rate and refix for a longer term just to get you past this period of rapid interest rate increases. If you want to learn more about the property market, join me at one of our free Beginner's Guide to Property Investment events, which we hold either online or in person in our office in Ellerslie in Auckland. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. I'll see you there. Third topic for today on interest.co.nz, 22nd of June. Falling house prices more than offset the effects of rising interest rates for first-home buyers in May. According to interest.co.nz's Home Loan Affordability Report, it's become slightly easier for aspiring first-home buyers to get into a home of their own in May, as the benefits of falling house prices at the bottom of the market marginally outweigh the effects of rising interest rates. And even more so if you negotiate hard. Okay, So not everyone's going to be able to sell at a discount, but some people will. The Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's national lower quartile selling price declined to 628000 in May from 640000 in April. And that reduced the amount needed for a 20% deposit on a lower quartile priced home slightly to 125600 from 128,000. It also reduced the amount that would need to be borrowed for an 80% mortgage by almost 10,000, down to 502,400 instead of 512 grand. Unfortunately, most of the savings in the mortgage payments that would have been derived from a smaller mortgage were getting eaten up by higher interest rates. And that is the period that we're in at the moment. So again, lock in those lower rates while you can. With a minimum 20% deposit, the average of the two-year fixed mortgage rates charged by the major banks increased to 5.1% in May from 4.96% in April. The net effect of that was that the mortgage payments on a lower quartile priced home purchased with a 20% deposit declined to 629 in May from $631 in April. In practical terms, the fall in house prices in May made it slightly easier for first-home buyers to raise a deposit, but the effects of falling house prices on their mortgage payments were almost completely offset by higher interest rates. 
In the last six months, the effects of changing market conditions on first-time buyers have been more mixed. The national lower quartile house price peaked in November last year at 670000 and it's declined by 42000 to 628 grand in May. That reduced the amount needed for a 20% deposit by $8,400, but getting together $125,600 for a 20% deposit is still unaffordable for many. If you're in that position, don't give up. Just keep trying because, you know, if house prices keep correcting the way that they are, then you will get there sooner rather than later. The amount needed for an 80% mortgage declined by 33600 between November and May from 536 grand to 502400 Over the same period, the average of the two-year fixed mortgage rates increased from 4.08% to 5.1%, which pushed mortgage payments up from $596 a week to $629. For first-time buyers purchasing houses with prices at the bottom end of the market, that means that the amount that they need for a deposit is reduced and the amount they need to borrow with rising interest rates are pushing up their likely mortgage payments. In the short and medium term, this trend is likely to continue unless house prices start falling at a faster pace. Now, on that note, as interest rates increase, the banks increase their test rates for loan servicing, which means they want to make sure that you can afford to pay a mortgage if interest rates get higher than what they're currently at. So at the moment, banks on average are testing interest rates at about 7.6%. So the higher interest rates get, the harder it gets to get a loan approved. Okay, If you're in a position that you can get a loan approved now, go house hunting, for crying out loud, before they, uh, before they increase those rates much further. I've just explained how, you know, price drops are offset by the increasing interest rates, but it's even more depressing if you can get a loan now and you sit on the sidelines and then when you think house prices have dropped to a point where it's working for you, if interest rates are unaffordable, you know, with the new test rates, um, you might not qualify for a loan at that point. So get out there, get stuck in and negotiate hard. Get a pre-approval first. Okay, fourth topic, News Hub, 20th of June. Houses are increasingly snapped up by cashed up multiple property owners as the real estate market cools. And this is from CoreLogic. While commentators are seeing the property market slow down as an opportunity for buyers to get the upper hand, one type of buyer has a particularly strong advantage over the rest. CoreLogic's figures show that the market share of cashed up multiple property owners rose from 9% in October last year to 14% across April and May this year. Now, to be honest, it's not completely surprising because in October last year, the property market was absolutely booming. So cashed up multiple property owners tend to be much more strategic about their purchasing you know they buy based on the numbers and that's the rental return you know they want to make sure that the rental returns strong so they tend to buy at a lower price point than homeowners and mum and dad investors are prepared to pay so it's no surprise that when the market slows down there's less mum and dad investors and less first-time buyers so it gives those multiple property owners the chance to purchase more deals Okay, so that's, in my opinion, the reason why we've seen an increase. It should actually signal to the rest of you, though, if you're a first home buyer, 
or a mum and dad investor who's sitting on the sidelines, it should be a really strong signal that people that are experienced property investors think this is a good time to be buying. You know, just an indication. <laughs> First time buyers share and mortgage multiple property owners are both sitting at about 23% of the total number of buyers in the market at the moment while the movers market share has decreased slightly to 27% in May from April's 29%. So the movers, they're the ones that are selling their current home before they purchase another one, for example. So they're upgrading their current home or potentially downgrading their current home as well. In an interview, CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Calvin Davidson said that cash-rich multiple property owners are returning to the market. He added it's not just investors who are participating, it's also those looking to sell a house and haven't done it yet and have purchased another one. Davidson believes that with tighter lending rules and increased interest rates, cash is king. He clarified that what is being pointed out in his discussion in market share uh, meaning the percentage of transactions. The number of deals across the market has fallen. It's just that deals by cash investors have fallen less. So now they've got a larger market share. Since mortgages are harder to acquire, those with a higher equity base or more cash will be enjoying bargains in the property market. On the other hand, the market share of first-time buyers has decreased, although they haven't totally deserted the market. Davidson said the main reason for this is the restrictions to accessing credit. The other potential reason is that some home buyers are pulled back because they're hoping to get cheaper deals if further price falls take place, which is a really bad strategy. Just if you haven't heard me say this before, it's a really bad strategy waiting to time the market. You're going to get it wrong. I don't know anyone, even experienced investors, who get that right. So yeah, it's a it's it's luck more than good planning. Uh, the market share of first-time buyers is 22 to 23%. Six months ago, it was sitting at around 26 to 27%. So again, if I can't say this enough, if you can get lending now, go shopping. You know, Don't wait until lending criteria gets even harder because you might find that you're going to miss that opportunity. Topic number five, in stuff on the 22nd of June, the towns where house prices are defying the downturn for now. Data from Quotable Value shows that several areas are bucking the trend in falling house prices. Latest figures show that prices dropped in each of the 10 biggest cities in the quarter to May, while only Tauranga and Christchurch had not had price declines since the start of 2022. However, the data also showed that at least 10 towns outside the main centres have had price increases of above 5% over the first five months of the year. The coastal South Island town Kaikoura had the biggest jump in prices, up 13.6% to an average price of 702130 Central Hawke's Bay up 11% to 732801 Stratford and Taranaki up 10.2% to 545188 Waimate in Canterbury, that's up 9.5% to 445,852. And Westland on the West Coast, up 9% to 425,604, rounded out the top five. Apotiki and Kauro in Bay of Pliny, Timaru and Ashburton in Canterbury, and Buller on the West Coast also had price increases of over 5%.
Quotable value general manager David Nagel believes that these areas are an exception for the time being, but their price increase will slow and are expected to drop to negative levels in the months ahead. He said that the main urban centres, especially Auckland and Wellington, are often ahead in terms of peaks and troughs. He added that every market's different, which means different areas can be in different points in the property cycle. You know, we've often said that New Zealand is not one property market, it's hundreds of property markets. And even one city can have more than one property market. You know, every suburb's got its own little market. The only main urban centre where price increases had picked up on a monthly basis was Queenstown, where they were up 4.5% over the three months to May. Nagel said that Queenstown was not as far along in the cycle as other main centres and its prices are also expected to decline. On a regional basis, Canterbury and the West Coast had the biggest price increases since the beginning of this year at 2.6% and 4.6% respectively. In contrast, prices in Auckland and Wellington were down by 3.8% and 4.9%. One driver for price increases in the regions was the number of returning Kiwis and city dwellers seeking a different lifestyle or more affordable housing. According to Nagel, rising interest rates and strict credit conditions will eventually curb the growth of house prices. It was just a matter of how far prices would eventually fall before they found a new equilibrium. Property investor David Whitburn said cashed up expats buying in the regions might be a factor in some small towns continuing to record price increases, but it wasn't the main factor. He added that the current cycle is a bit different from previous cycles because money pumped into the economy due to COVID has prolonged the boom. Nonetheless, people can expect the same thing to happen as in previous cycles where price decreases in the main centres spread to regional towns after a bit of a lag. ASB and Westpac have predicted that prices could drop 20% from their recent market peaks when adjusted for inflation, but prices were estimated to have increased by about 45% over the course of the pandemic, which meant that most homeowners were still sitting on sizable capital gains. All right, so that wraps up this week in review. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you at one of our upcoming free events if you haven't already attended one recently. So again, just to register for one of those free events, go to propertyapprentice.co.nz, and I'll look forward to seeing you there. If you want help with your long-term investing plans, uh, come and talk to us at Property Apprentice. We can help you with no conflict of interest because we don't sell property. Thanks for listening.